guy. Ever wonder what it's like to face a 350-pound lineman who wants to smash you into the ground? I know what that feels like. Scott Mitchell here, and I want to tell you about my podcast, Helmets Off, where I talk about the pressures of being an NFL quarterback and some of the other pressures pro athletes face when the helmet is off. It's a podcast, and you can get it free on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and at kslsports.com. At SLRC, they understand your dream to move. Moving up, moving on, moving your body, moving mountains. SLRC can help you find the focus to define your finish line. As a top 10 run shop in America, they use their 25 years of experience to provide custom shoe fit analysis and offer a premium assortment of footwear and workout essentials. Locally owned, locally operated. SLRC is movement inspired. Visit saltlakerunning.com to schedule your shoe fitting today. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership. I'm Jess Larson. This is part two of our interview with Jillian Gibbs. The way we encourage them to kind of see beyond their practice, you know, whether it's a video person or an experiential person or a print production person, um, is that we've made the teams about, about seven years ago, we started making these integrated teams at the company so that we all learn from each other. Um. If you missed part one, please go back and listen and hear about the major accomplishments. Uh, she's built this organization across 48 cities and 160 staff, advising on over a billion dollars of content execution. Um, and Julie, maybe we should start with that. Can you talk about, um, as you think about advising on content execution, what are, what are some of the mistakes that you see the most common out there? Well, that's a very interesting question. Um, well, I'd say uh, marketers. Who, so our clients are marketers who work for big advertising organizations um, in all types of fields. You know, from automobiles to beauty products to consumer packaged goods and um, uh, sports brands and, and technology and insurance. You know, across the it runs the gamut. And I'd say um, one common theme that we're seeing is that there there is a there is a need to improve upon the way that content is created so that you can make more content and not have to spend more so you can make more content and reach the consumers um, you know you can afford to trash what you've done once you learn about it and then produce new content and the only way to do that because the old way of producing content is very expensive. You know, going to a high-end um, TV commercial director, um, you know, and spending you know twenty thousand dollars a day on a director um, or high-end photographer is it's just it's impractical to think that you can afford to keep going back to that type of um, production company. Um, and so, going to companies that are more that are that have an engine of producing content. Um, and can produce and edit and distribute the content for you is a, a very different model. And, and, and I think there's still a place for the high-end directors and photographers out there to produce content for marketers. Um, but if I look at a piece of, you know, if I look at a pie, an advertising pie, <laughs> and a marketer's spent, I'd say that the majority of it, say 80% of it, is going to go to e-commerce, influencers, um, uh, versioning and adapting and revising existing content and that uh, and, and consumer generated content and, and content engines and, and 
so on and e-commerce i think i might have mentioned that but but only 20 percent of that would be dedicated to the high-end photographer director type people so um a traditional marketer will go typically to a traditional advertising agency and to a traditional director or, or production company uh and i think that has to that has to change um the important thing is that those wonderful talented directors and photographers understand how to produce really great quality content. Um, and so we have to help them to be better about producing content that's going to be um, able to be uh, revised or edited or repurposed for different platforms um, with maybe different stories. Um, once we start to learn and get information from the consumers as they're seeing the content in market, um, so that big shoot, that big production, that where you might have a high-end director needs to just work harder for you versus work to produce one asset and then you're doing a bunch of cutdowns. Yeah, that doesn't yeah. work anymore. Sure. So when you think about organizations that are doing this right, who, who do you feel like um, has elements of this nailed? Uh, you, you, the type of clients? Yeah, are there any like brand name clients? You know, are there the Procter & Gamble's or BMW's or is there Red Bull's or who? Who do you feel like is leading the curve on maybe sh shifting that pie in a good way? I would say I, I often call call it the transformation meter. Like there is every, every client we have sixty two clients right now. Every single one of them is at a different stage of their transformation into this new modern creative production ecosystem, um, and we have some that are um, you know still, still modestly trying to work in the same old way and, and, and dabbling in, you know, 10, 20% of their marketing spend in innovation. And then we have others who are sort of up on the 80% of transformation. And um, I would say, and those companies are still, every six months or so, they're still changing the way they're doing things. And uh, it's a lot to manage. It's a lot to handle. Um, I'd say the companies that are doing it well are... I can't say that I have. I would want to call out one company. I would say I, because everybody is. I don't want to put them on the spot, but sure. I also. I think everybody's sort of trying to just evolve, and and push and change, and 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 I and, I, and if they stood out, if it's only they're only going to stand out for for now when it's six months, you know, they're going to have to change again. So yeah, well, um, I want to know more about this idea of. Um, going to the folks who have a, you know, have a more efficient engine for putting out that quality content. Mm -hmm. um, can you give me an example? Like, are, is this a, is this a different kind of agency or are you saying go more to like the kind of contentlies of the world or, or who, uh, who does that actually look like? Um, great question. Uh, I think there are, uh, there are several contently type companies out there, you know, that content uh, creators or content aggregators, um, but that's only one piece of the pie. I think the companies that are doing it really well and looking at how to support a brand are companies like Media Monks, companies like um, Me and Mr. Jones, uh, Accenture Interactive. Those three companies, I think, are very forward-thinking in the way that they're approaching content creation. They're using technology. They're using a combination of content aggregators um, uh, with high-end uh, production companies and uh, directors and photographers. Um, they're using AI or information about the consumer. 
data that informs the way that they're going to produce their content. And it's the, it's the content planning that they all do really well, which is way up front. They're thinking about all the assets that need to be created and distributed across many platforms versus the traditional um, ad agencies who very much are still very TV centric and, and think about the production of a TV ad and then cut down versions from that. The more modern sort of evolved companies, the three that I just mentioned are three of, of several, but the, the three that are at the top of my list currently, um, those are the ones that are thinking about how to plan properly to produce the right content to get the best results based on consumer data. And, and just for my own clarification, are you, do you have a brand that's a client and you're advising them how much they should do with Accenture Interactive versus how much over here? Is that your role there or am I misunderstanding that? Yeah, yeah. So we would sit uh, with the brand and we would look at what they're trying to achieve. And we are, because we sit at sort of above the fray, right? We have no ties to any production company or agency. Um, the client is our client, you know, the advertiser is our client who pays us. Um, so we have a, a vested interest in helping them to be successful uh, by helping them to make informed decisions. So, and by helping them to sort of navigate, like a, as if we were the conductor of an orchestra to use a music reference, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, you have all the, the, the conductor needs to know how to play every single instrument in that orchestra. So um, for us, being production uh, experts, we know how to produce all the types of content and, and do it really well. So we sit in the position of the, the conductor, though, and we help each of those instruments to, or production supplier in the supply chain, um, the creative production ecosystem, to be effective uh, and so that they, they're stand out, standing out. You know, the crescendo happens for them when it needs to. And then, you know, we redirect the content creation to the right, um, the right group, so that it's a it's the appropriate group for the marketer. Does that make sense? Does the yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and then my question, I guess my I'm I'm fascinated with different business models. My question is um, that brand. What's the measure of success? Why is it that they like you so much and they keep they keep hiring you year after year? What how is success measured in that relationship? We have, we have several different ways that we measure success. Um, one is that the, the first one is that we are educating, or I like to say, increasing increasing the production IQ of the marketers and the marketing organization. Um, the procurement teams are very much a part of the marketing organization, so educating them on how they can make an impact on the marketing organization is important as well. Um, and then getting the creative suppliers to be at their best to support the marketers. So that's sort of the connecting the dots, educating everyone. Um, APR does a, a, we do a lot of research, um, a lot of white papers, supporting industry associations in the same way. So even companies that aren't our clients are benefiting from the knowledge that we're sharing um, through the WFA and the ANA, which are industry organizations, and ISBA and the ACA and so on. So um, I think that's the biggest thing is increasing the production IQ. The second is um, helping them to be most efficient. So they're actually measuring uh, their their savings. They're measuring, or we're measuring it for them. And it's not just the savings that APR brings, but the savings that they achieve through working smarter with all these organizations across their ecosystem. Um, the savings are important. Um, the timeliness, the responsiveness, because everything happens so quickly. We often, you know, when we're involved, 
initially someone will say, well, we don't want to add another entity and slow down the process. We actually help speed up the process because we're helping everyone to understand uh, enough information and have enough information so that they can make informed decisions quickly. And, um, you know, somebody who has to say, let's shoot a, a something in uh, Rio de Janeiro that is um, a place they've never been before, and we could say, yes, the agency's got a great idea to do it there, and here's why we support their decision. Then the client, the marketer, is feeling much more comfortable in their own skin to say, okay, I'm going to make this investment. I'm okay signing on this this line so that we produce this this content in a place I've never been before. So I would say those it's those those three things: impre- improving the the, um, the production IQ and therefore the confidence level of the marketer uh, and their procurement teams. Um, helping to achieve um, uh, cost savings and other types of efficiencies, time efficiencies as well. Um, and I, I'd say the third thing is as we as we is helping them to look to see the future and the trends so that they can prepare. So the planning is really important. You know what partners they should work with, how they should work with them. I'd say that's and that's how we're measured. Yeah. You know, um, I'm interested because there's obviously such technical aspects of what you do. Um, I'm interested in your philosophy because it, it sounds like your people are, they really become that kind of trusted advisor, strategy advisor to your clients. I'm interested in how you think about growing that in your team over time and helping them reach higher levels of that skill set. That is a very, very good question and something that we are grappling with right now. Uh, so... Uh, there, everyone who works at the company, so you've got 180 plus people, and they're all very interested in continued learning. So we have that, right? So they're all they already are motivated and interested in learning, and they they're they're the the way we encourage them to kind of see beyond their practice. You know, whether it's a video person or an experiential person or a print production person, um, is that we've made the teams about. About seven years ago, we started making these integrated teams at the company so that we all learn from each other. Uh, And we have training sessions that occur monthly, and we have um, committees where people are, you know, they raise their hand and say, I'd like to learn more about, let's say, um, AR and VR. And and so there's a committee uh, who owns that topic. There's a committee who owns a topic on um, music and um, there's a tip committee that we've 24 different um, practice leaders who all own their own practice. And then we intentionally bring them together. We have a training director at APR who is responsible for training internally, who's also responsible for training our external clients. Um, uh, So it's very intentional and it's hard to upskill people, especially when you're not all together in one location. it's so far so good. It's working right now. Uh, and this going to this content sort of strategic role, the production strategy role um, is, I don't know if I mentioned it in part one, but it's, it's about play acting. It's about, you know, putting people uh, in a situation where you say, okay, if this happens um, with your client, with your marketer, how would you respond to that? Um, for the most part, it's working. People are seeing, oh, wow, that just happened to me. My client just asked me that. One thing I noticed just over the course of my 30 years doing this is that the the people around the globe are very similar and they're struggling with the same things in the marketing space. So what's happening in Asia is happening in LATAM, it's happening in North America and EMEA. 
And it's fascinating to watch because it kind of goes, um, you, you hear the same language from people. So we used to talk about, in this space, we used to talk about cost controlling, then we talked about production consulting, then production management, then production optimization, and now we're on to content production strategy. So it's all the same thing. Overall, it means you know we're all working to help our clients make informed decision in the production of their creative assets. But the, 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 the words that we're using, so a lot of the teaching is the taxonomy in terms of how you talk about what we, what we did before um, in positioning ourselves as, I'd say, I'm going to throw something out there, but as production optimists, you know, <laughs> I love there's, it. There's, trademarked, um, there's, there's no one way to do this and we're all learning right now. So be entrepreneurial in the way you think about it and just have the conversation has been super helpful and saying, you know what? You don't have to walk into a room and know everything, but you do have to walk in the room and have a seat at the table so that we can help contribute to the process. And that says a lot. I love it. You know, I was just listening to um, a Clayton Christensen interview uh, this week, the Harvard professor that wrote Innovator's Dilemma and those famous books. And what you're doing is what he says he thinks is the greatest threat to Harvard. He calls it um, on-the-job university, where instead of paying huge amounts of money to go to Harvard, organizations like yours say, hey, you want to learn about strategy? Okay, let's have a session on it. Then actually do some strategy. Then let's come back and talk about it. Yeah. And, uh, and that learning by doing approach, he actually feels like is the biggest threat to Harvard. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, you had no idea you were so fancy, did you? <laughs> nice. Let me talk to the people at Harvard. <laughs> yeah, right? So, um, listen, I know you're uh, covered in the media a lot and stuff. What's a question that you don't get asked much that you wish people would ask more? Um, or what's a passion soapbox item for you? Either way. It, it, it has to do with the... Anything. Well, I would nope. say you've asked it. Um, Could be underwater basket weaving, whatever you want. <laughs> a topic that I really want someone to ask me. Yeah, just what are you passionate be, about? What do you think people should talk more about? What do you want to talk more about? I, I'll tell you what. I think it's I think it's music and how music influences the workplace. <laughs> tell me about that. Uh, I've been through a few conferences where there's absolutely no music and you know, you've got a thousand people in a, in a conference and, um, and just people getting up and talking at them. And, and I think music is so important to creating moods. It's into helping us learn. Um, and I don't think there's enough, um, I don't think there's enough music out there to help us in business. And I, I, I'd like to see more of that. Like I brought it up to the conference I was at, and I said, you know, I think music would be really useful here. And and you've got a it was a women's conference. You have a you have a lot of women leaders in this room, and and we are all inspired and moved by music. And yet you're not using music. And can I talk to you about how to do that? And it just went because if you know if if you business the business mind you know it's so left brain that the right brain sort of and the left brain together are always the best, you know, I think leaders who mix both. And so if you've got, if you're saying what I just said to someone who's very left brained and uh, analytical and logical, then the, they don't necessarily can feel the importance of music. <laughs> I'd like to talk yeah. about that. Well, it's, it's interesting, you know, the innovation literature that's out there and, and most of our own experiences you know, we don't typically get breakthrough ideas by hanging out with the people who think the same as us. It's across <laughs> disciplines. It's it's being inspired or learning stories from folks who do something completely different from us that, that uh, you know, somebody who's had a slow hunch for years typically 
finally meets the other half of their idea. You know, mm -hmm. I, I'm interested in, um, you know, what musicians inspire you or any musicians lives or stories inspire you? Well, I, I, to me, what you just said, though, is really important. And it doesn't have anything to do with musicians. It has to do with people, which is that um, about a year ago, I made an intention to meet other people like me, like innovators, people who have their um, they're entrepreneurs or they've they've built and sold their company or multiple companies and they're on the other side of it. Or um, I listened to um, um, several podcasts about, uh, you know, like how they make this, how they do that. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and I, I say that the important thing for us is what you just said, which is to get ex exposed to people who are not like us, um, but who are like minded in the sense that um, they want to meet other people who are not like them. <laughs> and uh, and I started to spread the word about a year ago, and it took about five or six months before people started making introductions to me, um, to other people. And now my network has expanded, and and I've been invited to you know wonderful groups of, of, of people just sitting around, uh, other business leaders, business owners who um, you know just have dinner and have a conversation. It doesn't have to be about a specific topic, but you end up meeting someone who. You, like you said, it's like the other half of you or the, like, wow, you know, I didn't even know that existed, but it just opens up your mind and your eyes to see things differently. And I think that's, we need to do, all of us need to do more and more of that. Super helpful. You know, um, probably my favorite book on that subject is by Stephen Johnson. It's called Where Good Ideas Come From. Mm -hmm. And uh, for people who aren't book readers, the Royal Society for the Arts, the RSA Animate, um, did one of those whiteboard videos of it that's amazingly good. Um, but uh, it's actually kind of why I built the podcast this way, was to try and hear from high achievers from as many different disciplines as I could mm -hmm. for kind of that exact reason, to, to see if I could bump into some great idea that I never would have thought of, you know? Yeah, that's wonderful. And I, I think it's, it seems so simple, but it's so profound. And I think we all should be dedicating some part of our time to, to doing that. I mean, you can get that from sitting on boards because you have other people. Um, you can get it from organizations like Vistage and, and, and things like that. But, but I think you can do it on your own too. You know, just getting a group of people together who, um, I was just talking to my, my, I have a, a, a guy that I use in Denver who's a limo driver and, um, he's, um, originally from, um, uh, a foreign country whose name I'm forgetting. <laughs> But he, he, you know, he's a, an immigrant. He immigrated to the U.S. and he started his business uh, 15 years ago. I hired him and I've been using him ever since. And uh, he said to me, he picked me up from the airport the other day and he said, you know, he, he's got a lot of questions about having employees. And, and I said, well, why don't you talk to people? And he said, well, I don't, I don't know how to do that. And I, I, I'm going to take him out to for coffee and say, you know, here's how you do that. It's really simple. And you can learn so much just by talking to other people and He's got barriers up because he doesn't want to reveal some of his trade secrets. I'm like, you don't have to meet with your competitors. Just meet with other <laughs> people, you know, just people. It, it, it doesn't seem natural for him. So I, I think there's, there's something there to, 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 to getting people to do that more. I love it. Well, listen, um, for people who want to find out more about you guys, there's obviously the website, aprco.com. Mm -hmm. um, I know you're all over social. Uh, is, is the website probably the best place or what's... What's the best place for people who want to yeah. connect? We have a LinkedIn uh, page that's really great, um, Facebook page as well. Uh, and I'm happy to give my email if people want to reach out to me directly. Uh, but LinkedIn is actually the best way to get me, um, to get my attention, because uh, I don't see all my emails. So that's an important <laughs> thing to know. <laughs> I'm 
but my email is jgibbs at aprco.com. I love it. Well, thanks for doing this. Thanks, Jess. It was really delight to talk to you. Thank you. Well, that's it for the episode. One other thing I wanted to tell you about, if you remember the guys from Convoy uh, in episodes back, Ken Free and Trent Mano, I went on one of their CEO trips to New York and I met a guy named Brent Thompson, very successful entrepreneur. He was former CEO of Jive Communications, big uh, company now, I think three or $400 million. Anyways, he, uh, he started a new company called blipbillboards.com. I'm super stoked they're a sponsor now. But I, I remember a year and some ago when I met him, I thought it was genius. Instead of having to buy six months or a year's worth of billboard um, for thousands of dollars, you can buy eight seconds at a time for like 10 or 20 cents. You pick what billboard you want it on, what time of day you want it to run. And it just puts so much power in the hands of, of marketers and CEOs who want to try something and see if it works. You can buy as many or as few as you want, change it as many times as you want. Uh, I think now our podcast is being advertised on billboards in like 18 different states because we have these guys as sponsors. We're pretty excited about it. Hope you check out blipbillboards.com. Thanks. Technology Truths, brought to you by GEICO. Technology Truths. Truth. Teenagers can communicate entirely in emojis. How was the birthday party? Pizza slice, kitten, soccer ball, pineapple? Truth. It's so easy to switch and save on car insurance at Geico.com. What are you talking about? Paperclip, shoulder shrug, high five, wizard hat? What? Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.